Good morning, everybody, and thank you, um, Tony and Marina, for your commitment, along with many, many other families. And as you mentioned, Ernesto and Dave, uh, Tim Watts. Um, I mean, I, it goes back to, I think, the Keatings, weren't you guys involved, and the Procs and the Hirschbergers and the McFarlands and all these other great families have been, uh, who, who went to, who's been to Baja Bound to help build? Would you raise your hand? Look at how many people in just in this audience alone that have been down there. The Ingans, who I call the Nelsons. Gosh, unbelievable. I was at a wedding the other night and, introdu or night and introduced uh, uh, Kim and Chris Nelson. And poor Chris goes, well, you know, I am known as, the, as, as Kim Nelson's husband, so that's all right, right, the Ingans. But uh, a lot of people have been a part of that. And then reignite hope. Um, how many? How many have been uh, down to reignite or offered lunch? I mean, look at how many hands. Look at that. There are a lot of hands that just went up for just two ministries. Those ministries illustrate our passage this morning beautifully. As we get to celebrate this morning, the fact that um, we are entering into a whole new kind of phase here and we're able to drop the masks safely outside and following guidelines we uh we recognize that the rest of the world isn't where we are we're aware of that right that the rest of the world is not where we are right now sitting on a beach enjoying the sun in this beautiful place, having church, and um, we want to be mindful of them. And Father, we do pray. We do pray, Father, for so many people in India and around the world, in Europe, South America, Mexico, Canada, all these places that are still struggling. They are struggling. They're, they're suffering. They are suffering. And so, Father, we are still very, very mindful of that and humbled that, God, you have provided us with health and the ability to be able to connect with one another again through various means. So thank you for that, and we do pray for your guidance and your protection and your blessing over the world and for people that are suffering and the Christians and others. May we be a part of that in Jesus' name. Amen. That's what I want to talk about this morning as we open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want to read a passage to you. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to read it out of the message. The message is kind of a, an interpretive uh, interpretation. Uh, Eugene Peterson wrote the message Bible to interpret what he believed to be the original words of the New Testament in a very relevant modern-day interpretation to give us an insight into what the Apostle Paul was writing to an ancient church in Greece. We're talking 49 AD, very, very early in the development of Christianity. Jesus had been resurrected, ascended into the, into the, into the heavens with the Father and the Holy Spirit, to be reunited in the Trinity. And Jesus left his disciples on the earth to continue 
to influence culture and cities and towns and countries with this message that was all important, the gospel. And now Paul is writing to this little seaport town which is east of Italy, east of, it's in modern day Greece, in the Aegean Sea. And it's in the southern part of Greece, just north of that is all of the Eastern European uh, uh, countries, Croatia, Serbia, Hungary, all of those countries. And then if you go south, you go to Greece and you go to the, to the east of that, the, the, the part of Greece that comes out into the Mediterranean. And in along that coastline is this little small town of Thessalonica that was actually developed and, and founded back, you know, hundreds of years before the time of Christ, before the time of Paul, and became the capital of this region. A very, very important, significant town. And the Apostle Paul went there and met with people. And there were these Jewish individuals there were jews living there practicing judaism they had synagogues and then there were gentiles that were converting to god and then there were lots of people that didn't know anything about christianity didn't know anything about the gospel and paul comes and plants a church and now he writes back to this church because he is so impressed with the impact that they are having in their world that's the point this small little town this church was having a big influence around Macedonia, modern-day Greece, northern Eastern Europe, and even down into Cappadocia and, and, and modern-day Turkey. In all of that region, this church was having an impact. Why? We're going to be studying that. Well, I want to look at this passage. Let me read it to you. Let me just describe it to you. And, and maybe you're sitting here this morning. That's good. That's good. No, no worries. Thank you. There's just a bookmark. Um, there's no notes on that. But thank you anyway. Um, so here, let's just listen. And, if, and, and, I want, and I seriously want you to listen to this as I read this. Because I, there might be somebody out there that this has already happened to. And if it is, and if God's prompting you, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to come forward and just give us a brief story of how that's happened in your life. This is your opportunity. Seriously. In a minute. And part of sharing, we used to call it the ABCs when I was in college. Audible, brief, and Christ-centered. I love that. You've got to be audible. You've got to talk into the mic to be brief and Christ-centered. It's got to focus on what Christ has done in you. And maybe somebody out there has a story that they want to share just briefly what God has done as I read this passage. Just think about it. Pray about it. If not, that's all right. But I'm going to leave it open in that. So here's, here's Paul, together with his friends, Silas and Timothy. They send a greeting to this church, Thessalonica. And these are Christians that are assembled by God, the Father, the Master, Jesus Christ, God's amazing grace be with you. God's robust peace be with you. Every time we think of you, we thank God for you. Day and night, you're in our prayers as we call to mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope 
in following our master, Jesus Christ, before God our Father. It is clear to us, friends, that God not only loves you very much, but also has put his hand on you for special purpose. When the, mes- the message we preached came to you, it wasn't just words. It wasn't just words. It wasn't just words on a page. Something happened in you when you heard the gospel. The Holy Spirit put steel in your convictions. Anybody out there? That the Holy Spirit has had an impact in your life and put steel in your convictions. You paid careful attention to the way we lived among you, determined that you would live that way yourself, imitating us, you imitated the Master. Although the great tribulation came, you were able to take great joy from the Holy Spirit, taking trouble with joy, the joy with trouble. Do you not know that all over the provinces of both Macedonia and Caia, believers look up to you? The Word has been, has gotten around. Yes, lives are echoing the Master's Word, not only in the provinces, but all over the place. The news of your faith in God is out, and we don't even have to say anything more. You're the message. You're the message. People come up, tell us how you received us with open arms and how you deserted the dead idols of your old life so you can embrace and serve God, the true God. They marvel at how expectantly you wait the arrival of His Son, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescued us from certain doom. Let me just ask you a question. Has that happened to anybody out here? Just even a portion of your story. Would you be willing to share that just for a minute? I, I'm, I'm, we've got a mic up here. I'll stand here. Anybody willing just to come up and say, you know what, that happened to me, and this is how Christ got a hold of my life. The Holy Spirit brought steel to my convictions. Kim, hi. Hi, everyone. Happy Sunday. Um, I struggled with alcoholism for 35 years. Couldn't stay sober. I was introduced to Christ and the Gospels. And a miracle, the obsession to drink was completely removed. I don't know how that happened. And God willing, in August, I will have nine years of sobriety. Wow. (laughs) That was so short. I think we have to have another one. Thank you, Kim. Anybody else out there? That something significant has happened in your life, maybe even this last series. All right, hi. All right, hi, Mary. Hi. So I had a little adventure in um, October. My tenants decided to get a divorce because they were living in my condo in Culver City. I thought they were the perfect couple, and just living that way destroyed their marriage. And I decided to sell my condo in Culver City because I knew I never wanted to live there. After much trial and tribulation, all I could do was pray to God and say, God, tell me, where am I going to live? I don't know what I'm going to do. And he gave me this blessing, this humongous blessing. Right up the hill on Paseo de la Concha is my new townhome. So I thank God every day for it. It's 
made me healthier. I don't have asthma problems like I used to. And I get to listen to the waves at night when I go to sleep. And I've never slept better in my entire life. So God's great, and he teaches you a lot. What school do you work at, Mary? Remind us. I work at Moffitt. Moffitt and Lenox. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Mary. I was walking, and she ran by. And, what are you doing here? I said, I live here. She serves in a school where ten, they lost, you lost 10% of the members of the school children's families because of COVID. So it was very real to you. And your kids need you. And so we're thankful. We're thankful. Anybody else? Anybody else? Any story out there, any part of your story where you just feel like the Holy Spirit has put steel to your conviction that um, he has come in to you? Maybe a steadfastness of hope, maybe uh, a labor of love, even uh, a work of faith. Something's happened in your life. That's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about something significant that happened in Thessalonica that was so significant that Paul wrote back to the church and said, I am so impressed with what you're doing, as James began this morning. We are so impressed with how God is raising up people in our community, this church community, to have an impact not only in this area but around the world. That's the object. That's what we're shooting for. That's what it means to be the church. Paul is redefining the church. I want to point out a couple things. And here's what I want to suggest to you what Paul is saying. These believers in Thessalonica were rooted in their faith. And when you get rooted, what grows is viewable by so many it influences it just it moves out it's it's observable your life rooted in christ will be observable to all um my daughter and her husband just bought a house and and they fixed up their backyard and they have the six inches of dirt now that they put in their astroturf and their pavers and all that. And, and uh, Brooke was trying to figure out what to grow in the six inches. And she discovered that below that is a cement apron that holds the, the, the retaining wall up. And so it comes out and it's, there's only six inches of dirt. So what can you grow in six inches of dirt? So we had this conversation and, and my wife, who knows what grows in six inches of dirt, recommended this fig that will grow and, and cover the wall. And, and that's the objective because a lot of other things won't grow in six inches of dirt. But it, what's interesting as we began talking about what in the world's going to grow in six inches of dirt, plants have a way of finding the soil and digging and growing and developing deep roots has a way of finding the cracks and going in and deep. We were on a hike a few days ago down in Palm Desert, and we saw this rock, and in the, in the, it was a rock, solid rock formation, and out of it was growing a cactus right out of the center of the rock. It cracked through, it broke through, and... and, and 
Now it's observable. It found its roots deep inside some soil behind the rock. How's that happen? How's that happen? What's that? You want to come up? Come on up. Hi. Oh, thank you. You're going to give that to me. You just had to. There we go. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, this is actually my second time here. What's I'm your name? Last week. My name's Lucine, and um, I just felt led to come up here. I didn't want to yeah. come up, but just felt this prompting. I don't know who this might help. But I grew up in church when I was little, but it was very, like, religious. We would just go light a candle. There was no real relationship. There was no, you know, um, Holy Spirit-filled walking in victory. And I got married. I met my husband when I was 16, got married at the age, two weeks shy of 19. And um, what happened was I saw my husband as my as not my God, but he, he was the person that dictated how I felt about myself. So when I would not get the attention, um, I would feel less of, you know, I would just, my, my self-esteem would just went down. At some point I started getting into depression and there was just so much. Uh, I was married for 21 years. After my marriage ended because he, wanted, he walked away, uh, I came to a place where I just went down on my knees. I said, God, you are, um, you, you, I can't do this on my own. I tried on my own. Like, I'm just re releasing everything to you, my, my, my work, my home, my family. And that's when God really started to work on me. And that's when I allowed, I, I started to allow the Holy Spirit to lead me. And what I learned from that experience was God said, that because you were allowing your husband to dictate who, who, who you were instead of looking to me, the devil had attacked your marriage because the devil knew that whatever you put above me is what he was going to attack because that's what's going to break you. So what I found that everything that needs to go below God, when you have God first and your marriage and your relationships, your work, everything is below that, it's under his protection, and the enemy can't get to it. Whatever you put above God already becomes his target. And I just want to just give you guys, just encourage you, put God first. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Love God before anything, and he will bless you. He will bless you with everything else that you need. He knows your heart. He knows the desires of your heart. He put it there. And whatever is is below him again uh, that that is under his umbrella under the shadow of his wings is protected and will not be touched so i just pray that you're all encouraged by this story thank you thanks for sharing that appreciate that because that's what paul says when you get rooted it finds its roots and and paul ends by saying that i'm so impressed how you turn to god from idols from the the false rescues of our life to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son in heaven whom raised him from the dead that is Jesus who rescues us who rescues us from the wrath that's what happens so let me talk to you about rootedness just briefly this morning and let me uh, share with you three ideas that I have found in this passage that might help you first it's the description then it's a process and then third, it's the result. And there they are. The description, 
the process and the result of rootedness. It's all here in chapter one. Look, look at the way it's laid out. I give thanks for what? Here's the description of rootedness. Bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. There it is. Faith, love, and hope. When you are rooted, it means that you have, you are working at your faith, you are laboring in love, and you are steadfast in a hope. I mean, think about it. It's work to remain faithful in the sense that when you have a faith in God, it drives you to activate that faith into real life. That's, to, that's what it means to be rooted in Christ. To have a faith that's now working in you and you're, you're living it out. You're acting on your faith. In this moment, right now, I'm making a decision. What is the decision you're about to make right now? Something you got to make a decision about. Your money, your marriage, your life, a relationship, your work. Right now you have to make a decision. How I'm going to respond to something. When you have faith that's rooted, notice what happens. You are thinking through that in light of what Christ would say. And before you act, you are contemplating the right decision and then you're trusting and then you work out that faith by stepping out and doing what you don't think is natural or what you want to do. Your, your labor is love. See, for the Greek culture, love was eros. It was romantic. It was sexual. It was, uh, it was all personal in terms of how I receive it. It was about how to be filled with pleasure. That was the culture of the day. And Paul is suggesting a different kind of church. A church that, that works hard at their faith, but also labors in a different kind of love. And Paul is talking not about Eris love, he's talking about agape love. The agape love was introduced by Christ. When God sent Jesus, first century world saw for the first time what it really looked like to sacrifice yourself for somebody else. They're now we begin to live out that agape love. And we offer it to other people. Agape love is sacrificial love. And then it also says steadfastness of hope. That is, I am persevering no matter what happens. It's a hope that believes in a better future. And God's got a better future. Christ is coming back. He is a place for you. He's securing you no matter what you experience in this life. I am persevering. I'm done. I'm out. No. A rooted kind of faith in Christ, a rooted kind of love, a rooted kind of hope is a solid hope in believing that God has a greater future for you. I'm holding on to that. I'm persevering steadfast in a hope that I know I have. My future's set. Christians of all people should be the most encouraging, excited, joy-filled, happy people because we have a hope. 
You have you live with that hope. That's the description in this passage of what it means to be rooted in Christ. How are you doing in those three areas? You could spend the rest of your life faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. It's what God wants for you. is faith, greater faith, greater love, and greater hope. Work on those three things. That will root you. Now, what's the process? Here's the process. It's very simple. The process is, first of all, the gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power. In power in the Holy Spirit. Some transaction has happened in your life. And then notice the progression. So something powerful happens in you. There's an exchange. There's a moment in time that you come into relationship with Christ. Something happens. You get blown away. That's what happens in power. And then it says you begin this uh, imitation. The word is mimic. Paul says you began to mimic me. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. There's an imitation that happens in your life. There's an exchange. There's a, there's a conversion. There's some powerful moment in your life, and you wake up, and then you begin to look around and go, I want to imitate that person. I, I want to. You begin to follow other people that have done the same thing. And you get around people that inspire you to do better. And then it says, the third aspect of this process, now moving from the description to actually the process, is the impact. And then notice what happens. There's an imitation. I begin to mimic. And they, they followed Paul's example. Paul lived among them. And as he lived among them and worked, they saw his life and they followed it because he was following Christ. And then they became an example to others. They became an example. That's the process of rootedness. See, at some point, God's going to call on you to be the example. At some point in your life, maybe you're right now in that moment where is the Holy Spirit impacting me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 tells it like this, that the light shines in darkness, that the glory of God is seen in the face of Christ. So when the power of the Holy Spirit, like in Acts chapter 9, came over Paul, Paul is raging against Christians. He cannot stand Christians. He hates their message. He hates their philosophy and their ideology. He's out to get them. He's determined to wipe the Christian message off the face of the earth. Jesus shows up. And it says in Acts 9, this glory, this light shines on his face. And what does it say in verse 4 of Acts 9? Well, I'll tell you. He falls to the ground. That's what happens when you encounter the Holy Spirit. You fall to the ground. He knocks you over. Something happens and bam, it hits you so hard, you realize the Holy Spirit has just taken control of my life. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, very, very famous preacher from England, very, very powerful man of God that led the church for many, many years through the 20th century, started out as a doctor, a medical student. And he watched the 
uh, uh, the um, the head doctor of this hospital that he was serving at and doing his residency suffer. His girlfriend had died suddenly. He was in a relationship. And he watched this man, this doctor, this leader, leaning on his mantle one night with his head bowed. And he could not get a grasp on his life. He lost all hope. And Dr. Lloyd-Jones says, in that moment, when I saw that man grieving, he says, I realized for the first time the utter vanity of human hope. We put hope in so many things. And it was at that point that he got knocked over by the Holy Spirit. And it changed his life. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones became a prolific pastor and biblical theologian as well as a writer. That, that encounter has to happen in our lives. Has it happened? Is there a moment in time that the Holy Spirit has just knocked you over, so to speak? That begins this process of being rooted in, in Christ. The power of the gospel Paul says in Romans 1. See, but why? Because it's the glory of God that's in the face of Christ. And glory is a weight. It's described as a light. It's described as something powerful. But in in Scripture, glory is a weighty matter. It's something heavy. It's weighty, which means it weighs down on something. See, in C.S. Lewis's The Weight of Glory... You can read it in a very short period of time. It talks about the burden of the weight of glory, but also about the beauty of the weight of glory because in it, Lewis says that you and I have found our desires. God, it says this, our Lord has finds that our desires are often not too strong, but too weak. That is that when he sees us, we have sold out for a lesser glory. Something far less than what God has to offer. And until you come to terms with that and come into relationship with that and see the Holy Spirit moving in your life and knocking you over by some event in your life and you now become aware of God's presence, His glory, it knocks you over. It's a weight. Your desires are not like as... C.S. Lewis said, God sees us with not too strong of desires, but too weak of desires. We're running after the wrong thing. And our desire grows for him. And then then notice what happens. We we begin this this process of imitation. We imitate. It's it's like a a stamp. The word means to stamp onto a coin and to imprint. And that's what happens when life on life happens in relationships. When somebody you really admire and respect, be careful, those are rare people. Because they follow after Christ, there's tremendous integrity. No, we're not perfect. We're all following Christ and we're working at it. But when you find someone who's honest and authentic, Paul is describing this imitation process that happens 
that they begin to look like someone else and they begin to follow that example. It happens all the time. Kids imitate us, don't they? They truly do. You look at a, a young person and you go, I know, I know their mom and dad. I can totally tell who they, who they come from. We, we, we just have that imitation. The other night, driving home, and I told a really corny joke, and my wife says, you were so much like your dad in that moment. Absolutely, because I listened for, what, 50 years of corny jokes. Of just, he was a corny joke teller. And his, his humor, it wasn't really a joke. It was his way of seeing something that became corny or funny. And just, I've mimicked that in my life. But then we become an example. Whenever you step out and live an exemplary life, you are getting rooted. At some point, God wants you to move from this imprint, this, this powerful impact to this imprint to now becoming the example for other people. Stepping out and being an example. There are so many ways to step out and be an example. Take charge of your life. Dr. Oliver Sacks wrote a book called The Man Who Mistake, Mistook His Wife for a Hat. Wrote it in 1998. He's a professor of neurology. And he writes these stories of people that have overcome tremendous hardships. And this woman, Madeline, was brought into his office in the hospital. Um, and it was about 40 years ago this happened. It was St. Benedict's Hospital, and Madeline was 60 years old. She was born blind with cerebral palsy. She had no use of her hands. Everything was done for her. She was fed. She was clothed, bathed by her family, by her friends. She could not use, she, when she walked into the doctor's office, this neurologist's office, she said, my hands are like mounds of flesh, worthless clumps of clay. Everything was done for me. And he asked, why is that? That doesn't make any sense to me. That shouldn't be. And he put food in front of her and he challenged her over days to learn how to pick up that food and eat for herself. And for the first time in her life, she reached out her hands and picked up food and ate for herself. And her developmental process began and her hands came back and they became useful again. And she was handed a clump of clay and began to mold and she was known as the blind sculptor from St. Benedict. Something was in her that wasn't being utilized. That is a picture of a Christian who does not reach the exemplary stage in the process of being rooted in Christ. All of us. God has given you a hump of clay right in front of you and asks you, challenges you to reach out and make something of it. And finally, notice the end. Paul ends with this in 1 Thessalonians. When that pro that's the process. The description is faith, hope, and love. And then it says there's the process that happens as we develop our faith and become an example for others. It says 
the final result of this is right here. You will be rescued from the idols of this culture. That's the result. The result is the idols of this world, you will turn from them and be rescued from a and living and serving a living and true God, an active God. You will begin to serve an active God. The idols of our day, the ideologies that press down on the church today are, are, are forcing the church into a corner in our culture, pushing us, pushing us. And what the Apostle Paul says is your influence throughout your region and around the world became powerful because you left the ideologies of the day, the idols of your culture, the idols of your own life, the things that you have put in place of Christ. Anything that is more important than Christ gets pushed out, it's identified. That's what you do. It's the th Remember last week when we talked about longings in Luke chapter 14? The longing for our relationship with our family. The longing for self-preservation. The longing for our time to control our time. And the longing for our possessions. The four longings of life out of Luke 14, 25 to 35. And Jesus says, the greater longing is to long for Christ. See, why? Because you... You recognize that you are now serving a living and active God, not an idol that is dead. Has no power, ultimately. It doesn't lead anywhere. And the question this morning is, what are we going to do with those idols? That's why I love this church. It's a place of rescue. It's a place where Christ rescues us from the idols that we have put in place of him. So you want to be rooted in your faith? There's a description, there's a process, and there's a result. You begin to lay aside things that become more important to Christ. Let's pray together. Team, come on up and lead us in worship as we close this morning. We're going to have a close, and we're going to have time to actually worship the Lord. Thank you, Father, and uh, we do pray even as we look out this beautiful scene and uh, we have a chance to reflect. May, be, may this be the time for us to respond back to you. In Jesus' name.